What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome to episode 265 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. For today's story, we head to the northwest of England again for another very strange story in these very strange times. This story is set among the casino-going people, which was me until around 12 years ago when I realised that I was a terrible poker player and gambler and haven't gambled since. But when you're the 37th most popular UK true crime podcast host, your life is full anyway with numerous events. I suppose living the dream a bit like a A-list celeb, for example, Dean Gaffney. But anyway. As I said last week, I know many of you thought about supporting me at Patreon and getting all the exclusive content, but other things get in the way. I know how it is. So remember that just for December, I'm offering a free signed copy of my book, Gone Fishing, about serial killer Angus Sinclair, for anyone who signs up to support me on Patreon for an annual package. This costs as little as £15. And it is, of course, a perfect gift for Christmas, right up there with the car air freshener and CD package from your local garage on Christmas Eve. Just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Talking of Patreon, I would like to thank all my supporters and especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Josh Durham, Lucy Pawson, Karen Green, Rachel Pagdin, Jennifer Lynn, Lewis Rankin, Chelsea Fan, Martin Ansel and Michelle Watts. Thank you all so much. And also to Kristin Montgomery and Jenny Geddes who have increased their levels of support. Thank you, I really appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends, the game, like this podcast, where the fun never ends. If you've yet to play, you really should, especially over the forthcoming holidays with friends and family, either there with you or remote. There are literally thousands of levels to play and tons of cute characters to collect. In fact, there are currently over 7,000 levels available on Best Fiends, and it's fair to say there's something new every day. There are always new levels, events and challenges to keep you entertained. If you're tired of the same old puzzle games, start playing Best Fiends today. It's a game that anyone can play, because although it's made for adults, it's bright, colourful, fun and it's really approachable. I love it for all the reasons above, but also as Best Fiends is a casual game that still challenges you and you can pick it up whenever you have a little spare time, 20 minutes or so even when you don't have internet access. So why not join me and start playing Best Fiends today? Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Okay, so let's set some context to today's story with our guest the month and year game. Top of the UK music charts was Starboy from The Weeknd featuring Daft Punk. In the US, the number one was Closer by Chainsmokers, featuring Halsey. In the news this month, 
Kim Kardashian was robbed at gunpoint of $10 million worth of jewellery in a hotel in Paris. Bob Dylan was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature and four people were killed on a theme park ride at Dreamworld in Australia. In the UK, Diane James quit as leader of UKIP after only 18 days in the post, soon to be replaced by the equally memorable Paul Nutter. Nuttall. And in UK true crime news, Welsh footballer Ched Evans was cleared of rape in a retrial, having previously been wrongly convicted for the offence, serving two and a half years in prison. Did you guess the month and year? It was October 2016. The Woodhead Pass between Glossop and Sheffield is a lovely part of the world. I remember sailing events at Glossop with university and then driving the minibus back to Sheffield as quickly as possible for a night out. We took no notice of ridiculous amounts of snow in the winter and in the summer we didn't take the time to enjoy the sheer beauty of the route. But lots of others do and walkers in particular flock to this area of the Peak District to walk and enjoy the stunning scenery. One group were walking there on the 10th of October 2016, when near a remote lay-by they noticed there had recently been a fire in the area, and there was a suitcase there too that looked as though it had recently been on fire. They called the police, who made a gruesome discovery. The suitcase contained a limbless torso, that was so badly burnt that it was unclear whether it was a man or a woman. There was no sign of the limbs, which had been separated from the body, but it seemed that the body had been dumped in the spot before being set alight with an accelerant. This seems strange as there were so many remote areas nearby where the body could well have been left undiscovered for a significant period of time. And indeed, police appeals soon uncover witnesses who had seen a fire in the area the previous evening, which they could take as when the body was set on fire. Once again, as we've heard in recent podcasts, detectives scoured hour after hour of CCTV of cars and other vehicles on the Woodhead Pass. They tended to focus a couple of hours either side of when the body had been seemingly dumped and the fire started late the previous evening. It's a long and difficult task requiring immense concentration. While this carried on, in the meantime, officers managed to uncover the identity of the murdered man. It was 36-year-old Yang Li. Yang had been born in China, where he was bright academically, and after school he studied at university. When he told his parents and grandparents that he wished to pursue his education in the UK, They supported this ambition and gave him the money to do so. This close relationship continued when he arrived in England in 2000, where he studied at the home of world football, the University of Leeds. While at university, he was remembered as a smart, gentle and kind person. It was here he met his wife, Nan Wang, and they graduated together before marrying and moving to the wrong side of the Pennines in Manchester, where they bought a flat. Unfortunately, they were to grow apart and divorced after 11 years together. Following this, Yang lived alone in a flat he owned near Media City in Salford and he had quite a wide circle of friends, many in the strong Chinese community in the city. He was smart with money, 
whether it was earned or sent from his family. He invested very wisely and cannily in stocks and shares, and he was also a super smart gambler in the casino, which he enjoyed from time to time. It played a major part of his social life, along with eating out at the many awesome Manchester restaurants. And it was through this time he spent in casinos that he met another Chinese man, 43-year-old Ming Yang. Ming was a very different character to Yang. He'd previously worked as cabin crew for the airline Lufthansa in Germany, but was eventually sacked after he was convicted of credit card fraud. From here he found his way to Manchester, where he was a regular at casinos. If, like me, you've ever been a regular at a casino, I promise you'd have met someone like him. Unlike Yang, Ming was a reckless gambler who got himself into hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of debt. This willingness to gamble big and often lose meant that Ming was welcomed in a number of gambling clubs. His willingness to lose large sums of money meant that he was given the old Vegas whale treatment in some places and given a special employee to look after his needs and offered special deals such as free tickets to shows and comped nights in expensive London hotels. But despite his losing habits, other places still barred him due to his erratic behaviour. Sure, when he won, he could be charming and generous, but when he lost, he was, frankly, a nasty piece of work and rude and abusive to staff and other guests. By October 2016, Ming knew he was in serious financial trouble and he wasn't winning enough gambling to give him the stakes to give him a chance to find a way out of his financial hole. A day job was out of the question, it wouldn't pay enough, so he knew he needed to do something drastic. But what? Let's return to the police investigation into who had killed Yang and dumped his body. After scrutinising the hours of CCTV, it eventually became apparent that of all the vehicles that were tracked, just one was seen driving to the scene and back again, a Mercedes. And that car was stopped in the centre of Manchester on the 19th of October, and the driver questioned. That driver was Ming Yang. He denied any involvement at all in what had happened to Yang. And Ming was released, but detectives were still suspicious, and so seized the car. This search showed a tiny spot of blood in the back of the car, no bigger than a 10p piece. And further tests showed this matched blood found on Yang's torso. Detectives went to arrest Ming on suspicion of murdering Yang. They found him at one of Manchester's biggest casinos, based on the huge Vegas super casinos, and that is Manchester 235. He was gambling high stakes, and significantly when he was arrested, on his person was a passport in the name of Yang Lu. Ming, who is gay, lied to police and told them an elaborate story that he was in fact in a sexual relationship with Yang, who he'd not seen for a few days. Incidentally, Yang was heterosexual. Ming continued that it wasn't unusual not to see Yang, as Yang was also a sex worker who sold sex to older Chinese men in the community. Whilst he was being interviewed, Ming's flat was being examined for clues. The smell and the polish in the flat showed that it had recently been extensively cleaned. 
This immediately sparked suspicion. Had Ming tried to clean up blood and other evidence of an attack that had taken place here? And sure enough, a detailed search revealed Yang's diluted blood, which was found in the bathroom and kitchen, on the skirting boards and on the ceiling, while when officers lifted cushions to find the sofa was soaked with blood, which when tested, all showed to be that of Yang. Ming was charged with murder. Detectives tried to piece together exactly what they thought had happened. Telephone evidence suggested that Ming contacted Yang and invited him to his flat in the east side of Manchester on the 5th of October. The last pictures of Yang alive were from CCTV cameras at the Metrolink Station 2 near to his flat, where Ming met him and the two walked together to Ming's flat. Yang would have had no reason to be suspicious at this time. It was likely that Yang was murdered quickly, certainly by the early hours of the 6th of October. To steal his identity, which of course we've heard Ming had form when he was at Lufthansa, he dismembered him by removing from his body his head, hands and feet. He used sharp metal objects, probably knives, to do this, although detectives were never able to trace the implements. Having dismembered his body, he just discarded the pieces of the body in a communal rubbish bin, serving the block of flats in which he lived, and these body parts were never found. Ming had done all he could to clear his flat of evidence. He changed the position of furniture to hide bloodstains, which, as we all know, can be very tricky to remove. He painted parts of the walls and ceiling. He washed furniture coverings and gave his landlord notice to end his tenancy. By this stage, he had plundered Yang's accounts and transferred large amounts of cash to his own bank. Rather sickeningly, he even used Yang's credit card to pay for the petrol that he used to set fire to his body. He then made arrangements to sell Yang's flat in Media City in Manchester with a view to quickly getting the proceeds of the sale. Having been told the flat was worth at least 185000 he put it on the market at a very saleable price, once more looking for that quick cash that he could just use gambling. Ming took Yang's mobile phone and pretended to be him when speaking to banks and other lending institutions or estate agents, either remotely or in person. And one time around the discovery of Yang's body, he even sent a message on WeChat pretending to be Yang to his parents saying, I'm okay. But during that period, he spent most of his time in casinos in Nottingham and Manchester, raising the stakes using the money he'd stolen from Yang. During the interviews, even now, Ming continued to lie, telling officers still that he and Ying were in fact in a relationship and planned soon to enter a civil partnership. This explained why he was so heavily involved in Yang's financial affairs. All of this was of course nonsense, but Ming did come up with a theory why Yang had disappeared. As listeners to this podcast will have heard many times before, it is the classic name person who then cannot be traced. In this case, it was someone called John Wong, who'd been a long-time friend of Yang, but they'd fallen out over a gambling dispute. 
a situation with which Ming was very familiar. Ming continued that this mysterious one character and another man he didn't know had been at Yang's flat just before he disappeared. He told detectives that they must be responsible for his disappearance, not him. After all, why would he kill someone he was in love with and wanted to spend the rest of his life with? Detectives weren't convinced at all. They'd already spoken to those who knew Ming and heard that behind that cool exterior he liked to present, he did in fact have a nasty, violent temper. For example, while he was in Manchester, he worked for a while as a corporate travel consultant, but he was suspended after eight months and forced to go to anger management classes after having major disagreements with three managers. It's fair to say he wasn't a man who liked to be told what to do. The Manchester Evening News tracked down a former workmate who told how, and I quote, On his first day back at work, he grabbed a colleague by the jacket and threatened to take him outside and cut him. Nice. There were similar reports of this quick temper from those who had spent time with him at casinos. At his trial, Ming pleaded not guilty. Peter Wright QC prosecuting said, This was a murder done for gain. He lured his friend to his flat and killed him to satisfy his own insatiable gambling and financial problems and conceal his disappearance to give the impression the victim was alive and well. He assumed the dead man's identity, gained access to his bank accounts and personal effects to dispose of them too, and he did so hoping he'd be able to achieve all of this before anyone realised that Yang was missing and dead. The trial heard how Ming had used Yang's bank account and credit cards to withdraw thousands of pounds in the two weeks after killing him. The scale was staggering. Records from casinos in Manchester showed he had bought over £178,000 worth of gambling chips and had continued to lose money as he raised the stakes, incurring losses of £273,000 during that period. He also reclaimed watches worth £16,000 from pawnbrokers and tried to sell Yang's apartment near Media City, as we've heard. The jury didn't believe his lies, and at the end of the two-week trial, the jury took just four hours and 45 minutes to find Ming guilty of murder, and he was given a life sentence. The judge branded the murder as grotesque and told him, you killed a gentle and kind young man with dangerous cunning for your own selfish desire to feed your gambling habits. You befriended this man and moved in the same social circles as him. You were given special status in some casinos, despite being banned from others for what is reported as your erratic behaviour. But you came up with a plan which was chilling and which was a murder committed by you for personal gain. After the trial, Yang's parents spoke movingly about their son, who they said had always had a keen love for literature, painting and geography. They said, The most unbearable and devastating pain was that our son died in such a cruel way. Parts of his body are missing. We were not able to see his face and it's not possible for us to see him again. Whenever we think about it, we are so pained that we don't want to live. Our son's look and voice come floating in our eyes and we always recall what we'd experienced with him in the past. 
we cannot believe that this disaster could have happened to us. For the last five months, the loss of our son has brought us great pain and we're on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Our son regarded the UK as a second home. He respected the national religion, culture and customs. He was law-abiding. He loved and treasured life. And they also revealed how they spoke regularly and how he had vowed to return to China to look after and to care for them, should they ever fall ill. They finished by saying, We never expected that while he was youthful, his life would be innocently taken away. The sudden loss of our son was devastating and brought us irreparable mental torments. We will never recover from the pain of the loss of our son. This remains in our mind all the time. When our son is mentioned, we cry with tears running down our faces. So what do you make of what we've heard today? I'm afraid it's another shocking story and one motivated purely by financial gain. In my experience, people who gamble for money they can afford to lose find it an enjoyable piece of fun. But if you've spent any time in casinos, you will wonder how some people manage to gamble the amount of money that they do. Of course, some people are successful and talented gamblers and are using their winnings, but they're very much in the minority. For many of those gambling, this is serious cash that they can't afford to lose and by doing so can cause all sorts of issues. We've all heard the heartbreaking stories of people who've taken their own lives, and also about people who've stolen or taken part in other reckless behaviour to feed their addiction. And in this story today, Ming killed Yang purely as it was a means to get out of the financial mess that he managed to get into through gambling money he didn't have. I wonder when he actually made the concrete decision to murder him for his money. Sure, he must have thought about it in a fleeting moment, envying his success and his money. But I wonder just what was the catalyst that turned this thought into reality. And the murder itself was brutal. Dismembering a body over a number of days is a terrible thing to do. Not just due to the lack of respect being shown to the dead man, but the actual reality of dismembering a body is a gruesome task, especially using standard implements. Lots of mess, horrible smells, and the difficulty of cutting through bones. I think we won't linger on this any further. And so we are left with Ming in prison for the rest of his life, and Yang's family and friends left distraught by his death. For such a gentle, kind and unassuming man, without any enemies, To lose his life in such a way is of course terrible and pointless. It really sticks in my mind how he showed respect to all who met him and how this contrasts so markedly by the lack of respect shown by the man who killed him. And now tragically, as his parents get older and maybe sick, Yang isn't going to be there to keep his promise to look after them. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, but definitely not the unlucky defeat by the Mighty League United yesterday, please join us at the Facebook group where you'll join almost 75,000 of us and you'll be very welcome.
and support the show, become a better person, and claim your signed copy of my book about serial killer Angus Sinclair, and access over 40 bonus episodes and other exclusive content, please just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Remember, this offer runs out after Christmas, so head over to p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime now. You know it makes sense. Okay, so that's all from me for another week. So until we speak again on Tuesday, please do take it easy. And despite all the others, most of all, stay classy. Cheerio for now.